here we are coming to the ministry of Christ. Word about Jesus' ministry is spreading across the region of Galilee. It's already gotten up to Jerusalem. They're hearing stories about a man who could calm the sea. They're hearing about a man who could cast out demons with only a word. A man who fed 5,000 people uh, with five loaves and two fishes. Uh, They're hearing about a man who could heal the lame and raise the dead. They've also heard about Jesus. They've heard all the good things, but they've also heard that he's not exactly following all the laws of Judaism the way that they think that he should. Not necessarily the way that he needs to because he's going to follow all the commandments of the Bible and of the scriptures, but sometimes there's a conflict between the commandments and between their traditions, and we're going to see that happening because Jesus is not following all their religious traditions. He was doing things on the Sabbath day, like healing people that they thought that he shouldn't be doing. The rabbis of old said this shouldn't be done. He seemed to be, if you will, kind of marching to the beat of his own drum, but he was really marching to the beat of scriptures. He was keeping every commandment, fulfilling every law, doing all the scriptures commanded. And he was doing a great deal of good. He taught like no one else had. He was was speaking with authority that no one had ever spoken with before. When he spoke, large crowds were gathering to hear him teach. Uh, They hung on every word. Over time, we saw the Pharisees come and question him. He always came out on top. They had no answer for his questions. And all of his arguments seemed to make sense scripturally, where they were left hanging. Tonight, we're going to see yet another confrontation between Jesus and the Pharisees from Jerusalem. Apparently, the religious leaders, that's the scribes and the Pharisees in tonight's message, they were living in Jerusalem. They'd received word about the disciples, and they received that the disciples were violating the Jewish traditions because they were not properly washing their hands before they ate. Now, we might look and say, oh, that's not that big of a deal. Well, it is to them. It's a huge deal to them. Jesus will instruct them concerning the word of God and the traditions of men. So tonight we're going to see this take place. Uh, Even in our culture today, churches have traditions. And we have to be very, very careful when we hold a tradition. We should never hold it above God's word or even equal to God's word. God's word should always supersede any tradition that we have. So let's pick up in chapter 15. I'm going to read the first two verses and then we'll talk about them. Then the scribes and the Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. These scribes and these Pharisees coming from Jerusalem, they were were an official delegation, if you will. They, they, They were sent to figure out who this guy is, what's going on, why are they doing this, why are they not washing their hands? They're coming to evaluate what they'd heard about Jesus and his disciples, which in itself is not wrong. If they hear something going on, they should evaluate. They should be able to take a look and see what's happening. Is this biblical? Is this scriptural? And I commend them for going right to the source and not beating around the bush. They go right to him. But did you catch their accusation or rather their question? It's an accusation in a question form. Why do your disciples transgress the traditions of men? A tradition of the elders, it says, for they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. This is a tradition that had been passed down for many, many years. This was not a matter of personal hygiene. It's not like when we tell our kids, wash your hands before you eat dinner. This was a religious tradition. It's not like the disciples were coming to the dinner table with dirty hands. It was something they needed to do to be clean. Traditions that came from the elders, they'd been passed down for many, many, through many, many generations when it says it came from the elders. 
The scribes and the Pharisees of Jerusalem were offended because the disciples were not following this rigid and extensive hand-washing rituals before eating a meal. It bothered them. They, they didn't understand it. You see, to the Jewish scribes and the Pharisees, these traditions were just as important as God's word. They held it high. In fact, in many cases, they would consider their traditions more important than God's word. More important. One ancient rabbi said this, he who eats with unwashed hands sins as much as he who lies with a harlot. Wow. They're serious about their hand washing. Another rabbi said this, whoever has his abode in the land of Israel and eats his common food with rinsed hands may rest assured that he shall obtain eternal life. Live in Israel, wash your hands, and you've got eternal life. That was the traditions of the rabbis that they were following. Now, there were other rabbis who taught differently, but they were following these traditions. This is why they came to question Jesus. These traditions are not found in Scripture, but they're handed down by these rabbis through the generations. The disciples are being accused of violating the tradition of hand-washing. Now, I know in our culture, the way that we study the scriptures, we look at that and go, well, this is just ridiculous. We can just skip the rest of the chapter. We already know that the mistake, we already know where this is leading, but I want to follow through with it. I want to follow through and, and watch how the Lord addresses their traditions. And I, wanna I want you to understand why he's doing it. Let's look at Jesus' response to them there in verse 3. He answered and he said to them, now they asked him a question. So he says to them in question form, why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? He answered their question with the question. He says, why do you transgress the commandment of God? Why do you violate the commandment of God because of your tradition? They're accusing the disciples of not following the tradition. Jesus is accusing them of not following the word of God. Let me explain the real problem to you. You see, the traditions of the Pharisees, these traditions have become so deeply rooted in their religion that when the scribes and the Pharisees declared somebody to be unclean for not properly washing their hands, for not following their tradition, they were denying the people access to God. You see, it wasn't really about the hand washing or not washing or not washing your hand. When they said, no, no, you are unclean, you can no longer come into the temple, you can't worship with God's people. You have no access to God because you are unclean. If you touched a dead body, you were unclean. There's certain things that would make you unclean. And you not washing your hands properly was denying God's people the access to come into God's presence. They were putting an obstacle between God and the people. You see, that was the real problem. They were putting a hindrance between God and the people. What if you were hungry and there was no water to wash your hands? Well, then according to them, you couldn't eat. You, you couldn't possibly have anything to eat without washing your hands properly. And Jesus was angry because the traditions of men were keeping the people of God from coming to and worshiping their creator. That was the problem. It's important to see that these traditions, they're not based on the word of God, but on man's interpretation or man's addition. They're adding something to the word of God. Oh, how we must be careful of that. Do we still have traditions today? Oh, you better believe it. Are there still churches operating today around the world that are very traditional? Yes, there certainly are. Traditions in Jerusalem still exist. This hand-washing tradition still exists. If you go into a restaurant in Jerusalem, off to one side or the other will be a little station where you can wash your hands. 
There'll be a little pot with water in it. There'll be a little a sink or something. Before you go to the wailing wall, you have to wash your hands. It, it still exists for them today. There's churches with it that, we, that we know that still have traditions. What do we do about them? Are they, are they bad? No, not all traditions are bad. You see, we, we, we have a tendency to respond, no traditions. If traditions are bad, then let's throw them all out. Well, not all traditions are bad. Some traditions can be good. They can be helpful to us. They can be good things for us. They're not all bad. But what's bad is when our traditions are held equal with or higher than the word of God. When they get in the way of our relationship with God. Sometimes people will say, I love the traditions of my church or the old traditions of this church or of that church. Be careful that you're not in love with the ritual and the routine over the creator, over the savior, over the redeemer. Because you want to follow a process, you want to feel secure because you went through a series of steps, and he's going to say it pretty soon, that you're, but yet your heart is far from him. Just to be clear, Jesus gives them an example of what he's talking about. One particular example, it's actually the second example, the first one's hand washing, the second one's here in verse 4. He says, for God commanded, saying, honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say... Whoever says to his father or mother, whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. Then he need not honor his father or mother. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. Hypocrites. Now I know that's kind of hard to understand. But in the law, in the word of God, we know that God says, honor your father and your mother. And if you refuse to do this, the consequence, and, and to show how serious this is, God says it could lead to death for failing to honor your parents. Now, we don't practice that today, but according to Jewish law, that's what could be practiced back in that day. When you were young and you live with your parents and you're living under your parents' household, you're commanded to obey your parents and to honor your parents. Once you mature and you move out from underneath of your parents' household, you don't have to obey your parents any longer. You're an adult. You're responsible for yourself. But you still have the obligation biblically to honor your mother and your father, to honor your parents. Part of honoring your mother and father is showing them love. It's showing respect and helping them in this particular case meet their financial needs. You see, back in that day, there was no Social Security. There was no pensions. If you didn't provide for your parents, they didn't eat. If you didn't help them financially, if they didn't, there was no nursing homes or places that you could send them, or, or, or there, there was no government uh, subsidies or things like that. You, your family was responsible solely for the care of your, of, your, of your aging parents. And to honor your parents, you were supposed to take care of them. Part of that, as God said, was to take care of your parents financially. But here's the problem. They didn't want to do that. They didn't want to take care of their parents financially. So they have God saying you have to take care of your parents financially. They said, well, you know, I mean, maybe my parents should, they should have saved more. They should have prepared more. You know, now, why do I have to take care of them now? So they had to get away. They had to figure out a way around God's word. They had to get away from it. They had to figure out something different. In fact, some parents, some, some scribes taught that so it was so that, that you were so required to honor your parents that a son, they, they would say this, a son is bound to support his father and his mother even if he had to go beg for them. So even if you had nothing, then you were required to beg for yourself and for your parents because they were too old to do that. So God says take care of your, finan your parents financially. 
They didn't want to do it, so they created a tradition. They said, we're going to change it. We're going to create, we're going to create something. And, they, and we read it there. It said this. It said, whatever profit you might have, that's whatever excess, whatever money you might have, received from me is a gift to God. The ESV translates that verse, anything of mine you might have been helped by has been given to God. Here's how it worked. And this comes from Mark's gospel. If you were Hebrew and your parents needed financial help and you didn't want to help them, you were bound under the law, but you had to figure out a way to get out from underneath the law. We call those loopholes, right? We're going to find a loophole in this. So here's what they did. They had a word. The word that they used, the Hebrew word was Corbin. Corbin. And it means a gift to God. So what they would do is they would declare all of their possessions Corbin. So now they no longer own their possessions. All of their possessions are a gift to God. And because it's a gift to God, under that tradition, they were not allowed to give anything from those, from that possessions to their parents. Well, what if they wanted to go on vacation? Well, that was okay. You could declare it ungifted to God and use it to go on vacation and then give it back to God once you got home again. You know, that's ridiculous. I'm making it ridiculous and they have ways of explaining it, but I'm doing it as simply as possible. And this is what they used to do. They would call it Corbin. So over and over again, you would maintain control of what you had, but you're not going to help them because you don't really want to, but yet you don't want to violate God's law. So they created a tradition that says, if I call it Corbin, then I don't have to give to them. I can just keep it for myself. If I want to use it, I can, but then I can just declare it Corbin again. Do you see the loophole there? Does, does, is it just me or does that seem absolutely positively ridiculous? But yet they had to figure out a way to get around God's law. It made no sense at all. I would look at this and say, why don't you want to take care of your parents? Maybe they had a bad childhood. Whatever the reason is, they didn't want to honor this law of taking care of their parents. Isn't it amazing what we can justify and rationalize to keep from following the word of God? Looking at them and saying, that is so dumb. I wonder what we've justified away and explained it away because of our culture or because of our sinful nature, or because of whatever reason, we just don't want to talk about that thing, so we find a way, and we may not use the word Corbin, maybe we use something else. What is it that we will rationalize and justify away through a tradition so that we don't have to follow the word of God? It's sad, isn't it? You see, the purpose of this tradition was not to serve God, but it was to serve self. That's what they wanted to do. My money, and I'm going to pretend to give it to God, but I don't, that way I don't have to give it to my parents. It's absolutely crazy. It was only created to invalidate the commandment of God. And Jesus, is bring, he's bringing it up. He's bringing it up right in, right in front of them. They didn't like what the word of God said, so they created the loophole. You see, here's the problem with tradition. Here, here, here's why tradition is so dangerous. Tradition can be followed mechanically and thoughtlessly. It's just a, it's just a set of steps. It can be followed without conviction it can be followed without sincerity or without purity of heart. Anybody can do it. Because traditions are made by men, they can be accomplished by men. It can be, it's easy to do. They require no faith, no trust, no dependence on God. Not only that, they appeal to the flesh by feeding pride and self-righteousness. Look what I did. I kept the tradition. I followed the rules. And oftentimes, as in this case, they're only serving your self-interest. It's all about you. They require nothing of you. It, it's, it's just a set of steps that you have to follow. And angered by this callous selfishness of that tradition, look what Jesus says there in verse 7. Hypocrites, 
Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, These people draw near to me with their mouth and honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching as doctrines the commandments of men. Wow. Can you imagine the Lord saying that about anybody? Not, I, I wouldn't want it said about me, but I wouldn't want it said about anybody. They have an outward appearance of being religious. They're following all the traditions. They're keeping all the right steps. They look like they're doing what they're supposed to be doing. But he says, their heart is far from me. They don't really know me. They've got you fooled, but they don't have the Lord fooled. How is it possible to honor God with your mouth and with your lips, but have your heart far from him? Isn't that the very definition of hypocrisy? You say one thing and do another? I, I, I say that I'm fine. I praise God. I worship God. I come to church like everything's fine. Yet, yet my heart is far from him. You see, since traditions don't require a condition of the heart, they're easily substituted for true worship and obedience. They don't require a heart condition. It's not a connection of your heart and his heart. You can, you can go through the motions. We've all done that, haven't you? I have. Haven't you pulled up to church and, and been a miserable? Maybe you've had an argument on the very way to church. Maybe you've had an argument with yourself or a phone call, and you hang up the phone, and you get out of the car. Hi, how are you? doing great how are you doing blessed blessed it happens but that's exactly what's taken that that I'm, I'm here tradition it's a condition of the heart it's not a condition of the heart it's just something you go through if you know the steps to take you can go through the motions without your heart ever being engaged that's what tradition it's what you do on the outside you look spiritual but on the inside your heart is miles away from the lord people do that sometimes you know that Worship, i got to look like I'm worshiping. Put on my worship face. i gotta, I got to pretend that I'm worshiping. And I often wonder, are they? Because sometimes people can stand, you know, with their hands in the air, praising God, and you wonder, wonder what they're really thinking about. Maybe they are praising God. I don't know. And someone can stand with their hands in their pockets, their eyes closed. Oh, he must be thinking about the football game. No, maybe he's praising God or she's praising God. You don't know. We don't know what's going on in their hearts. But see, tradition is no connection with the heart. It's just a set series of steps. I sit down, I praise God, I raise, I raise my hands and worship, and it becomes, a, it becomes a tradition. It becomes what I do. One commentator wrote this. The only heart that can worship God in spirit and in truth is the heart that belongs to him. And the only heart that belongs to him is, a, is the heart cleansed from sin and made righteous by him. It is this divine cleansing that God has always offered to those who trust in him. I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you, he said through Ezekiel. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes and you will be careful to observe my ordinances. See, unless that transformation happens within a person, his righteousness or her righteousness cannot exceed the hypocritical and superficial righteousness of the Pharisees. After all, isn't this the very reason that they sent Jesus to the cross? Isn't this the very reason? Because he exposed the vile heart of the religious leaders. Isn't that what it does? Haven't you ever studied the scriptures and all of a sudden you're cut to the heart? It exposes something in you. Maybe you thought it was good and he goes, no, your motivation has been wrong. 
your heart has been wrong all this time. And like I said earlier, sometimes we come to tradition, rituals, and we go, no, they're all bad. Get rid of all of them. Throw them all out. No, no church should ever have traditions. I don't know that that's true. You see, even at Calvary Chapel, we would be considered a non-traditional church. But we have our traditions, don't we? Don't we do everything, you know, we come to church on, Wednesday, on Thursdays, we sing three songs, on, on Sundays we sing four, and then we have, we have announcements and worship, and then I come up, and then we have the Bible study, and then we pray, and then we have one song at the end. So we have our tradition too. It's not, it's not been rooted in hundreds and hundreds of years, and there's not an altar up here, and we don't have, you know, deep-rooted traditions, but there, there is traditions. So traditions in themselves are not necessarily wrong. They're not all bad. Many times traditions help us to remember. They help us to cherish and they help us to honor things that are noble and beautiful. But the problem is when traditions are substituted or in any way they distort or they, they, any way they substitute or distract you from God's word. When it becomes more about the tradition, the experience than about the word of God is when they become bad. They become offensive to God at that point. And you can see how Jesus is, is pulling this tradition out about their par- honoring, honoring their parents. You can see how that's in direct conflict to God's word. You can see how the fact that they're telling the disciples you can't, you're unclean because you're not washing your hands, so you can't engage in, a re- you can't engage in fellowship with God's people or in the, in, in, with the Lord because you're unclean. We're declaring you unclean. You can see how that's in, in direct conflict to God's word. When the words and opinions of men whether they're past or whether they're present, are taught above God's word, you are literally elevating man's wisdom above God's wisdom. Wasn't that what the serpent did to Eve in the Garden of Eden? Did God really say? Did he really say that? You, you won't surely die. You'll be like God. You'll know good and you'll know evil. Hmm. Traditions. What do we do with them? We constantly compare them to the word of God. The problem that we make with a tradition is not that we have a tradition. It's that when we begin to put it on the same level as God's word. God's word should always be first and foremost. The only authority in our life. If a tradition that we have in our life, in our church, in our personal life, whatever it is. If it's in conflict to God's word, then it should no longer be a tradition. You shouldn't follow it. Well, after dealing with the religious leaders, Jesus wanted to instruct the common people about godliness. Look there at verse 10. He said, when he had called the multitude to himself, now I just picture the religion, now this, the scribes and the Pharisees, how do you think they left on this? Because he brought up the fact that they were doing this whole Corbin thing. He brought up the fact that they're doing this whole, you know, not taking care of their parents thing. He brought up the fact that they're transgressing the law of God with their hand washing thing. And, and they have nothing to say. There's, there's nothing more for them to say. I just imagine them leaving in a huff, you know, just... <laughs> Turn around and walking away. You know, just, just in a huff, walking away from there. After they leave, at the verse 10, I, see, I can just see him calling the people over. All right, come on over, guys. Let me tell you what's going on. He said to them, hear and understand. Now, when Jesus says hear and understand, it means that he wanted them to listen carefully and pay close attention to what I'm about to say. If he wanted them to hear and understand, don't you think this is something that we need to pay attention to? This is something we need to hear and understand. Look what it is, verse 11. Not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. In this case, 
the Jewish leaders had taught that spiritual defilement was a matter of not following the proper hand-washing ritual. Jesus, Jesus here is saying spiritual defilement is a matter on the inside and not on the outside. Spiritual defilement doesn't come from not washing your hands properly. What matters is what is in your heart. It is the evil in the heart which eventually proceeds out of the mouth. Out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. Although dietary laws and ceremonial washings were at the heart of the Jewish religions, Jesus is saying at the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. At the heart of the matter is the matter of the heart. What is the heart doing? What does the heart say? The purity Jesus requires or desires doesn't originate, doesn't come from clean hands. It comes from a clean heart and a pure heart. The leaders were so worried about defiling themselves by not touching this or by not eating that or failing to follow some tradition, they never realized that what's on the inside is what makes them unclean, not what's on the outside. Do you realize what makes you unclean is what's on the inside, not what's on the outside? That's what he wants us to know. It's what's inside of us. In me lies no good thing until I let Christ dwell inside. The sin is on the outside, right? The sin is on, when, when you commit a sin, it's on the outside, when you, but you've already thought about it in your mind. It's come out. When you say something mean or you say something or you put somebody down or you gossip, it's already happened on the inside. It's just coming out. Sometimes we get filters and we get really good at keeping it from coming out, but it's still happening on the inside. That, that's not a clean heart. It, we, we think it, but we don't say it. So we, we know how to properly act. On the outside, it's a ceremonial thing. I, wouldn't, I don't want to do that. But on the inside, I'm just as filthy as I was before. You see, Jesus says, I want to fix that in you. I want to give you a clean heart. I want to change the way that you think. Pastor Chuck used to say that a horse thief is a horse thief before he steals his first horse. Thief, horse. When he steals his first horse, it just proves that he was a horse thief. Huh? Let me say it again. He said that a horse thief or any kind of thief is the thief on the inside before they take their very first thing. When they finally take it, it just proves who they already were on the inside. That's what Jesus is getting to. It's a matter of what's on the inside. The desire that he had to steal came from the inside. Perhaps he fought it for a while. Perhaps he denied it for a while. But eventually someone gives in. They just proved the case. That what was in them was evil. We need a divine cleansing. We need a new heart. Isn't that what Jesus promises isn't that the power of the gospel I'm going to you're going to be born again I'm going to give you a new way to live a new way to think a new way to operate no longer do you have to do these old things I'm going to give you freedom from bondage it's a it's a, it's a new opportunity now look what Jesus or look what the disciples say to Jesus verse 12 then his disciples came and they said to him do you know that the Pharisees were offended when they heard this saying? In other words, Jesus, you know, you weren't being very politically correct. Did you know you offended those guys? Of course he knew he offended them. Hypocrites are always offended by the truth, aren't they? 
Jesus intended to offend them. That was his desire to offend them. Why? Why? It wasn't because he wanted to be mean. He wanted to share with them the truth and bring them to a place of decision. You see, what he did is they said, you're violating the traditions of, of, your, of, our, of our elders. And he said, well, you're violating the traditions of God with your traditions of elders. The law of God, I'm sorry, with your traditions of the elders. Now you choose which one you're going to follow because your traditions are violating God's law. You choose. He wanted to bring them to the place of decision. Would they tradu- choose the traditions of men or would they choose the word of God, the laws of God? They made their choice. You see, they asked Jesus why they didn't follow the traditions of the elders, and Jesus pointed out to them that their traditions of the elders were trampling on God's word. I believe he did that, not to make them look stupid, but to make them bring, to, bring them to a place to consider. What do I do with God's word? What is it that I'm holding equal with? Is there something that's equal to? Is there something above God's word in my life? Is there something that I'm holding on to where God's word is saying, let go? Is there something I'm doing there? You see, I believe he still wants to bring people to a decision today. Which one will you choose? A tradition or God's word? A tradition, because sometimes traditions, like I said, they can be good, but you know, they can also be bad. Sometimes you've got a tradition of sin in your life. Sometimes it's a tradition of, you know, gossip or whatever it is. Well, that's just who I am. It's the way God made me. No, no, no. You can be set free from that. Which one will you choose? The traditions of men, whatever the tradition is, or will you choose to follow God's word? Look how Jesus answers them there in verse 13. He answered and said, Every plant which my heavenly Father has not planted will be uprooted. In other words, what he's saying is human teachings and traditions will not stand. They will not bear the test of time. They'll eventually be uprooted. Only the commandments and the word of God is eternal. They alone will pass the test of time. Charles Spurgeon said this, There was no need for the disciples to combat the Pharisees, They would be uprooted in the natural order of things by the inevitable consequences of their own course. In fact, Jesus said there in verse 14, let them alone. Let them them alone. You don't need to organize a political rally to expose them. There's no need to organize a public debate in front of everybody so we can call them out. He says their human efforts will fail under the weight of their very own legalism. They're not going to be able to uphold. They, They can't do it. Just let time go by. And see where it gets them. You see, sometimes Christians today spend too much time arguing over the traditions and the doctrines of men. Just let it go. See what stands. See what endures the test of time. Those doctrines and truths that do not come from the Lord, they will be uprooted. It'll be very clear. Don't get caught up in the arguments. Just let it go. Look how Jesus describes the Pharisees and the scribes. This is what he says about them. They are blind, leaders of the blind, and if the blind leads the blind, both will fall into a ditch. Blind people leading blind people. That doesn't make a whole lot of sense, does it? I heard a story. I read a a cute story today. It was uh, two pilots were getting onto an airplane full of people. They were getting ready to take off. And uh, one guy was holding the other guy. You ever ever watch the blind person? They hold the elbow of somebody else. Well, the one guy was holding the elbow. The guy in front had a, had a cane with the red thing on the front. He was, he was feeling around getting, into the, getting onto the airplane. And when the passengers saw these two pilots getting on the airplane, they thought, hmm, could they both really be blind? What are we going to do? So the two blind pa- 
the two blind pilots get in the, in, the seat, in the pilot seat, they close the door, they taxi out, and eventually they start taking off down the runway. Have you ever taken off? They speed up, they speed up, they speed up. And the people are wondering, they're getting scared. Are they really blind? We're get, and they're getting closer and closer and closer to the end of the runway. All of a sudden, they let out a big yell. The pilot pulls up and off they take off. One pilot says to the other pilot, one of these days they're going to yell a little bit late and we're not going to know when to pull up. It's the blind leading the blind. The people can't see what's going on. The pilots don't know what's going on. How do you think Jesus said this? When he said this to his disciples, do you think he was angry or sarcastic? I don't think so. I think he was sad. I think he was saddened by it. I don't think he took any enjoyment in declaring this truth and watching the Pharisees walk away. As he said, and I believe he may even, there's the blind leading the blind. I don't think it was like, woohoo, one for us, zero for them. I think it was like, it's the blind leading the blind. The Pharisees referred to themselves as blind guides. It was their duty to lead blind spiritual people into the light. And Jesus is playing on that idea of them being blind guides. They were the they were the blind people guiding the blind in these spiritual truths. The only problem is they're blind themselves. They didn't know what they were doing. And they played on a common story back then. If a blind man was to lead across, lead a, lead across a field, another blind man, they're going to fall into a ditch, it says. You can imagine two guys walking across the field blind. What's going to happen to them? They're going to fall into a ditch. And the word for ditch, it literally means a pit. So what Jesus is declaring is the blind Pharisees are leading the blind people and they're going to fall into a pit and the spiritual meaning of a pit is hell. That's where they're being led to. The blind Pharisees, the blind religious leaders are leading the blind people directly to hell. How sad. But don't the people have an obligation to compare what is being taught to what God's word says? Sure they do. Now, we especially do because they didn't have Bibles printed like we do. But we have an opportunity to open up the word and say, does it match what, what the pastor's preaching? Am I, is somebody leading me astray? You see, that's why we teach the way that we do. I can't make it up. You're following along with me, hopefully. Everybody said they had a Bible. You raised your hands. You're good. Let's go. Let's, let's follow along. I can't. Am I leading you astray? If I'm leading you astray, you're following along with me. Be like the Bereans. Test it. See if it makes sense. Don't, don't just believe it because I said it. Believe it because you read it in God's word. Look what Peter says. I love Peter. Then Peter answered and said to him, explain this parable to us. This is great. Peter didn't understand what Jesus was saying. It wasn't a parable. He was speaking truth to them. He wasn't trying to disguise anything. He was being very direct. And Jesus lovingly says to Peter, are you still without understanding? Do you not yet understand that whatever enters the mouth goes into the stomach and is eliminated? In other words, he's telling them foods are consumable, Peter. They offer no spiritual substance, no lasting substance. They supply a temporary benefit. There's no eternal value, either good or bad. It's just food. Now, there might be physical health benefits to what you eat, but don't think for a moment because one person eats healthy and one person doesn't that they're getting a better spiritual benefit for what they're eating. Now, there is the sin of gluttony, and it's not excluding that. But that's what he's telling Peter. Listen, don't you understand when I eat something... I'm going to eat it. It's, be going to be, it's going through my body. I'm going to take the nutrients off it. The rest of it's going to be discarded. And it's, it does, it's not going to change my spiritual destination. But yet their focus of the Pharisees was we're going to declare you unclean because you didn't wash your hands because you might put something in your mouth 
And he's saying what you might put in your mouth is not what defiles you. Your problem is what's coming out of your mouth. That's what he's getting at. Look what defiles a man. He repeats it there in verse 18 for Peter. But those things which proceed out of the mouth come from the heart. And they defile a man. For out of the heart proceed evil thoughts, murders, adulteries, fornications, thefts, false witness, blasphemies. These are the things which defile a man, but to eat with unwashed hands does not defile a man. Can you imagine that you could be more spiritual if you would just wash your hands more often? That'd be easy, wouldn't it? But have you noticed how hard it is to control what comes out of your mouth? Washing my hands, if if that's all I had to do is follow a set of rules, that would be simple. But yet my heart, it says things I don't want to say sometimes. It does things I don't want to do. How do I I reconcile that? Well, Jesus says you need a new heart. You You need to be born again. You see, salvation is a divine cleansing that God has always offered to those who trust in him. I'm gonna, I, I said this earlier, I'm going to say it again. He will give you a new heart. He'll put a new spirit within you. He told us that through Ezekiel. And he says, I'll remove the stone from the flesh, from your flesh, and give you a heart of flesh. I'll put my spirit within you and cause you to walk in my statutes. And you'll be careful to observe my ordinances. You see, the heart that has been, the new heart that gets put in you is, gives you a desire to please God, to serve God. You, you, you're not able to continue sinning. Ah, oh, no big deal. It's no worries. I don't care. No, it's, it's, it's cool. No, it's not cool. The conviction of the Holy Spirit is overwhelming in your life. Even if you struggle with something and repeat it, the conviction is overwhelming that you, I can't continue in that. Praise the Lord for that conviction. That is a blessing. Do you realize that? Don't, you don't want to get away from that conviction. You want to obey it. So when you, when it, it'll go away when you obey it. But you, that conviction from the Lord is a blessing. You see, it's what comes out of our mouth that defiles it. I heard a, a cute story on the radio. Uh, it was, Lloyd Pulley mentioned it. it it's based, I've heard it before. It's based on an, on an old American Indian proverb, or, or a, uh, not a proverb, uh, uh, what do you call it? Sto- like a story, like a, a, a tale that they tell. And the way that Lloyd told it was this. He said there was a town drunk. There was a town drunk who got saved. The whole, pe- the whole town knew him as a drunk, but one day he got saved. And after he'd gotten saved, you know what happened? He stopped drinking. His life changed. And some people came to him and they were curious. They said, hey, what happened? What happened to your life? You're, 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 not, you're not the same person. He goes, oh, that, that, that's, that, that, I still have those tendencies. I still have my flesh, but I don't do that anymore. And they go, how, how do you explain that? He said, listen. He goes, let me explain it to you the best I can. Inside me lives two dogs, a white dog and a black dog. And they're always fighting with each other. The black dog represents the old me. He wants me to go back and do those things. The white dog represents the new me. And they're always fighting. And they asked, well, who wins? And he said, whichever one I feed the most. So which one are you feeding? Who do we feed the most? Is it the, our, is our desire to please God and, and, and do godly things? If I sow to the flesh, I'm going to reap corruption and death. If I sow to the spirit, I'm going to reap life. What are we sowing to? You see, when we get saved, we become a new person. We no longer have to follow the flesh, but we still have a flesh. It doesn't go away. Your temptations, your desires don't go away. You, you realize, I don't have to follow them anymore. But what am I going to, where am I going to spend my time? Is it in spiritual things? 
Or is it fleshly things? Where does your mind live? Spiritual or fleshly? You see, whichever one you're feeding the most is going to win. That's what's going to come out on top. That's what you're going to see happening within you. It would be my prayer that we would realize that God's word is always above our traditions. We should never put a tradition above God's word. Never even put a tradition equal to God's word. And we need to understand what we do on the outside is just symbolic of what's already taken place on the inside. We need a new heart. If you're a Christian, you've got one. So do the Spirit. If you're not a Christian and you don't know the Lord, you need a new heart. And the beautiful thing is God says, I'll give you one. Well, how do I get one? All you have to do is ask for it. Lord, created me a new heart. Forgive me for my sins. I believe you died on the cross for my sins. Make me new. Wash me clean. And you know what he does? Remember the day that you were saved. Remember the day that you realized, I don't have to carry this guilt anymore. You were washed clean. Let's pray. Lord, we just thank you for the scriptures. You're so faithful to minister through them. I just ask, Lord, that tonight, if there's anyone here that doesn't know you, that they would make the decision to follow you. That they would realize they need a new heart. They would realize they would come humbly before you, realizing that you went to the cross for their sins and asked for forgiveness. And they would see and know your grace and your mercy, your love. They would be tied to your love forever. And Lord, if we've been here feeding the flesh, and tonight you're telling us, you're convicting us, may we not run from that conviction, may we respond to it. Lord, have your way in our life, in our hearts. May we be pleasing to you in all that we do. Forgive us for the times that we're not. And wash us clean. In Jesus' name, amen.